We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Look, setting the pace with Alex and Foxy. Alex and Foxy. Alex and Alex. If I put our jacks in the paint, how you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? We can go head to head. Call out your top three. Call out your top three. Look at the switch from Buddy here. Now that boy got three. We got Holly Burton running point. This is a Benedict for the shot. If anybody gon' come in the post, then we got Miles Turner for the plot. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth. Hey, Sir Nation. What is going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. Hope you guys enjoyed our conversation with Chad Buchanan. Fachi, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great. As it relates to that episode, I'd say it's a must listen. It was a great, great experience having Chad on the show. But just like I love how open he was and how how much he would elaborate on whether it's the stories whether it's what they're looking for in the draft process, whether it's what it takes for, for a, a proper trade to go down. Chad really walked us through the behind the scenes of the front office, and that's something you don't get to hear every day. No, not at all. So I think it was just great to have him on, get a little bit of a perspective heading into the draft season. We don't usually get that. Uh, you might hear KP usually talk after the draft lottery about where they fell, but we don't get the in-depth stuff like we got from Chad, so really appreciate his time. But Today, Fachi, it's time to move off of that conversation and find something else to talk about. And this number seven pick is a very interesting pick because 
We've heard rumors that, hey, maybe the Pacers could trade out of seven for a veteran player. Uh, maybe they could even try to use seven and attach some other assets to it and move up. Or there's so many different options they can do with pick seven. But I thought it'd be great to start things off by looking at the history of the number seven overall pick and the type of players at that it's manufactured. So let's just start, Fachi, from like the past five years. Is there anybody that stands out to you? Past five years, I mean, it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, for last year in 2022, you got Shaden Sharp, who was a player that the Pacers were very intrigued with. He was the definition of the mystery bag. I liked what Shaden showed as a rookie. Next, you got Jonathan Kuminga, a player where it's kind of yet to be determined. Love the promise, but through two years, I think people probably expected a little bit more. Then, Alex, we kind of turn our way in a completely different direction. Killian Hayes. Someone that definitely had much higher expectations that I'd say, you know, a few years into the league right now, people are saying that that pick was uh, not what the, the Pistons would have hoped for. <laughs> then you move back to back with the Chicago Bulls. Kobe White, Wendell Carter Jr. Kobe White, I, I'd say uh, role, looking like a role player in the NBA. Don't know if he's going to be a starter, you know, moving forward. And then Wendell Carter Jr., while he showed some promise, I mean, not enough for the Bulls to be able to move on. And he's played well with Orlando Magic. But once again, a guy that you kind of say is very, you know, solid, but mm-hmm. not great. Yeah, I would say hands down, Wendell Carter Jr. is the best prospect um, out of those five, in my opinion, right now. Based on what far. we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shaden Sharp had a really pretty solid rookie season. I don't even, did he make second team all rookie? I don't even think he did. He did not. Yeah, so he didn't make either of the rookie teams, but I, I think he played well. There's a reason why I was so high on him. There's The, the Blazers are very high on him, too, so that's really interesting. Jonathan Kaminga, like we talked about a couple episodes ago, you know, very intriguing prospect, just hasn't been given the ample amount of playing time, in my opinion. And then Killian Hayes, I, I think I remember, it might have been Kevin O'Connor who called him, like, French of James Harden. Like, there was a lot of hype for this guy, and he really has not lived up to that hype. He's been a role player in Detroit and then I think Kobe White actually had a pretty good season last year, Fachi, as yeah. a backup. He had some really big moments. Like they almost took down the Miami Heat in the play-in game, and he was playing pretty well in that game. So I, I like that about him. But what's really interesting, if if you go to 2017, Lowry Markinen was the pick, and he was traded to Chicago. So Chicago had three straight years of having the number seven overall pick on the roster. Uh, Lowry Markinen was an all-star this year, so that's a really good one. Jamal Murray, the year after that from the Nuggets. Uh, the year at, uh, before that was Emmanuel Moutier with the Nuggets. Julius Randle was 2014. Ben McLemore, 2013. Harrison Barnes, 2012. Bismack Biombo 2011. Greg Monroe, 2010. I think a lot of Pacer fans remember that draft because 2010 is when we got Paul George. And then I, I think we should just stop here and just take a moment. 2009, the Golden State Warriors selected Steph Curry. Nobody else is going to reach Steph's level, no. but the previous players listed before, probably outside of Jamal Murray and Larry Markkinen, I guess you could throw Randall in there, but most of them probably role players for the most part. Yeah, you throw Randall in there because he is a two-time All-Star. He yeah. did just make all NBA third team, so you know a very promising player right there. And I think we can give him more credit than that. He's past promising. He's a very good player, um, not maybe a great great player, but a very good one. So when you third when option. You go- Yes, exactly, exactly. Third option on a playoff team. If you want to be anything more than that, you're probably not making the playoffs. So it's a very (laughs) mixed bag at seven. Laurie Markkinen becoming an all-star, you know, uh, a few, quite about five, 
five, six years later, kind of saved the what you're getting at seven because it looked like between the, the Kobe Whites, the Killian Hayes, the Manuel Moutiers, the Ben McLemores, it's very like, ugh. And then you got like your, your, your good role players, your Harrison Barnes, who has had a, a solid career. There's Eric Gordon just before Steph Curry, but Steph Curry is the guy that makes you believe that, okay, at seven, you could still find a really, really good player, but out of the whole list that we gave, he's the only franchise player. Yeah, I think there's been some really good role players, some that we didn't mention as well earlier in the draft uh, seasons, like 1998, White Chocolate, Jason Williams, Richard Hamilton, 99, uh, Nene, a lot of people remember Nene, he was the seventh overall pick in 2002, Kirk Heinrich, he had a really good role with the Chicago Bulls, same with Luol Deng. I think Luol Deng very was a, a very good player. Obviously got overpaid during the summer of 2016. Yes, that and, summer was wild. Yeah, I mean, he was a really good player. So, I mean, this pick has put out some really good NBA talent. And we talked about this with Chad about the importance of a role player, right? It, you don't always have to find a star in the draft. It's very nice when you do. But if you can also find a guy that fits your team, like a Lou Walding, could the Pacers find their Lou Walding to go with this roster at pick seven? I think they could. I really do. I think that, you know, that team had Derrick Rose, Joe Kim Noah, uh, Carlos Boozer. They had their uh, Keith Bogans. Like they had this team, right, Fachi, that was just well assembled. And Lou Walding was probably the third option on that team, right? So sometimes the second option. But I just feel like looking at that team overall, the Pacers are missing that player that kind of fits that Lou Waldang type of role. And I think there are guys definitely at pick seven that are going to be there. Lou Waldang, two-time All-Star. He made an all-defensive second team before. So a guy who had a very good career that the Pacers would love to find their Lou Waldang type player. If you told me the Pacers are getting a two-time All-Star at pick seven, I'd call it a success. Yeah. Because it's hard to imagine to say, hey, we're going to find a player that's better than Tyrese Halliburton or potentially better than Benedict Matherin at pick seven. If we can find a solidified third option for years to come, I I think that's great because we know what we got in Halliburton. It's going to be really, really hard to surpass an all-star point guard with all-NBA potential. And then Benedict Matherin, I very much do feel, has that all-star potential. So, uh Asking to find a better player to be a number two option at pick seven feels like a bit of a stretch, but not impossible. Yeah, I think that if I'm looking at the guys that we've talked about, the person that I could see kind of filling that role is Taylor Hendricks. I, I just feel pretty strongly about that at seven. I love it. And, you know, I, I think that you could even make the case for Jairus Walker, even you though could. we we definitely have soured on him a little a bit. A little just, bit. Just because we don't think the offensive game is there as much as Hendricks. Taylor, had, uh, excuse me, Jarris Walker is still a very good player. And oh, yeah. I would be really excited if he was a member of the Indiana Pacers because I think he would bring something that this team does not have, specifically at that four position. So there are definitely a lot of options here. But I think one thing we should look at too, Bachi, is what do the Pacers do with this? Should they consider trading this pick? I'm curious your thoughts on that. It's really tough because then the next question immediately says, well, what's out there that can you know be had? for the seventh pick because I, if the Pacers are to stay at seven, I do think that you, you're going to get yourself a real good player. 
Will you get a Jarris Walker? I don't know. He could go a little bit earlier. Cam Whitmore could go a little bit earlier. But I do think a player like Taylor Hendricks, who you and I very much like, I think will be there at seven. And that's really hard to pass up. But if the Pacers are to look to trade number seven, I think you got to do your due diligence on this because the Pacers do have enough picks and young players uh, that you could package together for, for something really good. But it won't be easy. So, Alex, I'd like to get a feel for what side of the fence are you on? Keep or trade? Yeah, I think right now it's really hard for me to envision trading this pick for a specific player that could be out there. Like the the one we've talked about at nauseum, and I'm sorry for continuing to repeat myself, but like OG Ananobi is obviously a name that Pacer fans are very excited about. I don't think I would be disappointed in saying, hey, we gave up seven for OG Ananobi based on the list of players we saw selected at number seven. For the majority mm-hmm. of the time, because I think that OG Ananobi could be like a Lou Waldang for this team, right? Does that make yep. sense to you? So I, I get that narrative where like, okay, number seven usually produces a pretty good role player. Is OG Ananobi a very good role player? I think so. But I also have to put into perspective, this guy could be a free agent next year and could walk for nothing. And it's like, do I want to have one year potentially of OG Ananobi or maybe nine years of Taylor Hendricks or Jairus Walker or Sar Thompson or Cam Whitmore. I think that I'd have to lean on the longevity of that player and, and hopes that they develop. Right. So that's where I'm at with that. But I, I do think that there are, there are eight players in this draft that I feel like fit the Pacers in the top eight. Um, I will, I will say this. I know that I've seen his name mocked to the Pacers, Anthony black. I do not see that fit, especially with Nimhard. Halliburton, McConnell, and Mather. I just don't feel like there's enough spots for him in that guard rotation. We've already kind of seen like, oh, where do Buddy and Duarte fit in this rotation as well, right? So you, you've you got yourself here trying to figure things out. So for me personally, I'm just thinking if Anthony Black is somebody that a team wants to move up and get, would the Pacers be willing to move back into maybe the nine range? Because if you look at the Utah Jazz, Fachi, They've got three picks as well. They got pick nine, pick 16, and pick 28. Would they be willing to part with 16 and nine to move up to seven to get the guy they want, maybe jumping Washington, knowing Washington might as well uh, want a point guard? I love it. I mean, if the Pacers are to be able to get pick nine and 16, you can get two real good players. We've talked about a guy like Leonard Miller who's moving up Will, would he still be there at 16? If so, I think that's awesome. And then at nine, you're still getting an absolute stud. So that's something you have to strongly consider to be able to bring in two real good players compared to just one. Because look, let, let's face it. We're happy the Pacers have picks 26, 29, and 32. But that is just totally up in the air as to what you're getting at those spots. You could strike gold with an Andrew Nemhart type player or you could get a ton of guys who never do anything in the NBA. But those picks are not as valuable as some people on Twitter might think. But 9 and 16, those are really good picks. And Utah, I think at this point, you can't rule them out from wanting to do that because they're in a spot right now where anything could happen in their rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how the board's going to shake out, right? But I think... If you saw like a team like Orlando, maybe at six, they decide like, and we saw in our previous mock draft, Anthony Black went six to Orlando, mm-hmm. which meant that uh, we took a Sar Thompson at seven. And then I took Casey Walls for the Wizards at eight, which meant that Jarris and 
Taylor were right there at nine and 10. So it's like, if those are the two guys you want and you feel like there's a chance they could fall to nine, then I think you have to consider it. It all depends on what happens ahead of you. But I I think we're probably in agreement here, Fachi, that outside of the top three, we would be happy with either of the Thompson twins, Walker, Hendricks, or or Whitmore. No doubt about it. So if the Pacers could land one of those five players at nine and also pick up pick 16, you're probably going to have to give up 26 and 29 to, to with seven to get nine and 16. Or maybe you have to throw in like a Chris Duarte plus seven to get nine and 16. I don't know if you'd want to do that, um, but I think it might be worthwhile if you can get two wings at nine and 16 to do that, Fachi. If there's for some reason uh, Utah has interest in a guy like Chris Duarte, but I'm just thinking out loud. It just feels like Utah makes a ton of sense because they've got three picks. We've got three picks. I'm trying to think of other teams that have multiple picks. I know the Blazers have two, the Rockets have two, but we're not going to be able to trade back to get those. And the Mavericks only have uh, one pick. Same with Washington. So uh, in the first round, that is. So you don't really want to move back too far where you fall out of that range where you miss out on a guy that you really want. I completely agree. Uh, I do have a couple of different scenarios for okay. you. So I'd like, to, I'd like to run them by you because, you know, these are going to range from good to I don't think I want to do that. So <laughs> okay. Uh, so here's a couple options. One, sticking with Orlando because you mentioned that. Orlando having pick six and having pick 11 mm-hmm. gives them a lot of options. Do the Pacers want to move up one spot? Is it really worth it? I don't know. It really depends if they're in love with someone and, you know, they have this fear that Orlando's really going to take them. They have that option. But what if it comes to, you know, potentially either moving back to 11 uh, and getting a player such as a Jonathan Isaac? Do you have any interest? But before, actually, I'd like to hear your, your answer before I go into <laughs> maybe why. I would say no. I don't think I want to move back to 11 because I don't like the range of, I think there's a drop off after the top nine. Oh, the, I completely agree. For the Pacers. So falling back to 11 you know, that probably means, okay, we're, we're going to take Grady Dick here at 11, yeah, right? Yeah, that's my fear. Well, and that's the thing. It's a like, good player you, at 11, but, you know, not what well, you hope that's six. That's would, you, would you rather have Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, or would you rather have, can't stay on the court, Jonathan Isaac and Grady Dick? I, I no. think that if you look at it from that perspective, then there's no way. I'd rather have Hendricks for, for nine seasons, and if he's a total bust, I'd rather deal with that than – not at least give myself the chance to see what that could be like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you. Just wanted to go through the, the, okay. the financial situation with Isaac. Look, he's only played 11 games over the last three seasons. It doesn't get much worse <laughs> than that. Uh, 45 over uh, 45 games over the last four seasons. He's owed two years, 35 million. But in reality, it's actually just $7.4 million becomes fully guaranteed by January of 2024. So for the for those of you who think that he's making too much money, he's actually not. And the Pacers have the ability to get out of his contract very quickly. And then that final year, not a penny's guaranteed until January of 2025. Gotcha. He's 25 years old. Pacers need help at the four spot for, you know, end defense. He provides that. But I'm completely with you in terms of, like, there's a chance that he just never works out. So say we don't want to do that deal. I don't think it makes much sense moving up to six because – it could be a bit costly, um, you know, so maybe we want to avoid that. Oh, another scenario that I have and a player that we talked about, Jonathan Kuminga and the Golden State Warriors. Look, they're at pick 19. If they were to include Kuminga and pick 19, would you be willing to part with 
seven and or perhaps Chris Duarte. Man, that's really interesting. I uh, depends on how much you believe in Jonathan Kaminga. That's the that's the million dollar question. Do you believe in his uh, ability as a player? I think I believe in him I do. quite a bit, and I think I'd be very excited for Jonathan Kaminga. But at the same time, maybe I'm just falling in love with some of these prospects here. I'm really just intrigued to see what could happen for us at seven. Because once again, I just I just wonder is the shooting touch there like like a Taylor Hendricks is is Kaminga able to play small ball five? I I think the, I don't think so. I don't yeah, know. I don't, and I, I don't think so there. And that's where I get the versatility with Hendricks and Walker. Mm-hmm. You you could probably say I I definitely agree that Walker is more ready to play small ball five. I completely agree than Hendricks, but Hendricks could potentially get there. But you know he's going to be that solid for. I think he honestly is the best fit next to Miles Turner, and I, like I just it. I just don't. I just don't see that with Kaminga yet, but this is a tough one. I think you'd really have to just look at your look at your notes from the 2021 draft, and if you're the Pacers, and, and get a feel like, what do we think about Jonathan Kaminga? Is he that guy? And I think that we made the case that we would really want to trade for him, but it had to be the right price. And that's why I was like, Nimhard for him uh, straight up makes the most sense mm-hmm. because you're not forfeiting, you know, this big draft pick here. Where I still really like Nimhard. We know that the backcourt has a lot of good players in it. So you're not as afraid to lose somebody in that position, but they don't have any wings. And so, or any hybrid forces, they would say they have wings and and guys like uh, Ben and, and potentially Aaron Neesmith. But other than that, they don't have a lot of those type of players. So do you want to invest in a guy that's already got two years under his belt and really has been up and down in golden state, or do you want to bet on bringing a guy in house that's going to have a chip on his shoulder and ready to prove something? I, I think that I would still turn this down, even though I'm very intrigued by it. Yeah, look, it, I you can go either way. I wouldn't say if, if the Pacers turn this down, I wouldn't say, oh, they made a big mistake because mm-hmm. I do love the idea of a Taylor Hendricks or a Jarris Walker at pick seven. But just to put it in, in context, Kaminga's about eight months older than the Thompson twins. He's still 20. Yeah, so it's one point. of those where he's very young. He's got two years of NBA championship experience being with the Warriors. So he could hit the ground running. But I fully understand if the Pacers don't want to do that, but they would possess – Picks 19, 26, 29, 32, and then, of course, there's 55. But at that point, and this is where things get complicated, you could always look to make a second move. Mm-hmm. If you're to package 19, 26, 29, you got a team like Utah sitting at 16 in a rebuild. Would they be willing to, you know, slide from 16 back to 19, pick up an extra, you know, extra maybe, you know, first round pick or pick 32? They might. Yeah. Or... Look at this. You got the Lakers at pick 17 who only have that pick in the draft and will need to fill out a roster with cheaper players surrounding their max players. So there is that ability to move up a couple of picks while not that much. Uh, it, it's uh, It gets complicated when you're trying to make that second move, but it's definitely one that has you thinking, hmm, I might need to sleep on this. Yeah, it's definitely intriguing. That's why I had to talk it out because I was trying to like, Oh, yeah. Lay out all my options because, it, like I said, it really just depends on how much you believe in Kaminga. Now, I will say this. We always talk about age, and I think age is the most overrated thing when it comes to sports. Completely agree. It's important. Trust me. It's very important. But what I want to know is, can this guy play basketball or not? Is this guy a good basketball player? Does he love the game? Does he fit our culture? Does he put in the work to become the, the best the best version of himself, right? And it's like, I, I don't really care if I were to, if I were to love – Chris Murray in this draft, right? 
And I'm like, okay, I'd rather have Chris Murray at 16, who's 23 years old, and I know he's going to put in the work to be his, his best version, than bet on a guy that's 18 and a half, very immature, has been given everything that he's, you know, everything's been handed to him on a silver platter, and he doesn't have the work ethic to be better. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not going to throw out a specific name because there's nobody in mind that I'm thinking of, but I'm just saying, what do I what do I want in a guy? And I'm not saying Kaminga's a guy that's like that because I think Kaminga's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder because he mm-hmm. feels like he's been given the short end of the shaft out there in Golden State. He's like, okay, I haven't been given the actual chance to prove myself. Pacers love guys like that. So this to me is very intriguing, but I don't think moving up from 19 to 17, like you said with the Lakers, like that's that doesn't much. that doesn't do anything for me. If maybe you get back up for Orlando's pick at 11, or maybe you could get in there and get OKC's pick at 12 because they've got so many young guys or the Raptors are willing to move off at 13, that could be interesting. But at the same time, like I said, there is a drop-off after nine, and in my opinion. And I just – I would be very nervous to trade out of the top nine. No, I definitely would because whoever we got at pick, say, 19 or so, we're bringing ourselves back to the that stage of Goga – and TJ Leaf, where it's like, can this guy even play? You know, and, and you really don't know what you're getting for quite a few years until you end up realizing you didn't get much overall. So there's definitely that risk. If it was seven for just Kaminga, couldn't do it. Needed mm-hmm. something something else in there to sweeten the deal. But you mentioned Toronto and pick 13. Now, Alex, is there a scenario that the Pacers could trade pick seven for OG, but have it also involve pick 13. And I don't mean straight up. I mean a scenario where if it involves enough picks or perhaps a player or so, do you think there is any situation where Toronto would include pick 13 with OG? Ooh, this is tough. <laughs> think about this. I just got to, I got to decide. I got to know who their coach is because we just heard yeah. they interviewed Steve Nash. We don't know what direction they're heading. If they decide to really go all in, they could trade Pascal and OG and just try to you know, land as many picks as possible, right? Mm-hmm. So I think if they go that route, then I think you really have to think about it because they could potentially, I don't know if the if the the Blazers would do it, but they could potentially get pick three for Pascal Siakam with another comp like with another package. And then the Pacers could potentially trade seven for OG. Now you're looking at picks three and seven to start your rebuild in Toronto. I think that's pretty interesting, especially if you, you know, like the Thompson twins, if you like Brandon Miller, if you like Scoot, like there's a lot of interesting ways the Raptors could go with this. But at the same time, I just feel like from everything we've heard from people that cover the Raptors, like they don't really want to just give up OG because we saw how difficult it was to already get him at the deadline last year. I think there's going to be teams that maybe have more to offer than us. There very well could be. It all depends. Like you mentioned, the direction that they're going to go in. Fred Van Vliet, Likely declines his player option, hits free agency. Gary Trent Jr. very well could do the same. They traded a first-round pick for Yaka Pertle. He enters free agency. So it's just like, how are they going to – what are the Raptors doing? They need a yeah. head coach, just like you mentioned. So I don't know which way they're going to you know, go in, but I do feel like OG is more obtainable now than he was at the deadline when they were trying to make that last push for – you know, the play-in, the playoffs, you know, anything of that situation. So uh, if there's a scenario where we could get OG and pick 13, I feel very good including seven. Mm-hmm. If it ends up coming down to including seven, a bunch of other picks, maybe a young player, you're giving up way too much, in my opinion, for only really one game. 
guaranteed year of OG before he hits free agency. So any any scenario <laughs> of trading for him has to include some sort of like we feel great about an extension. No, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of when the Pacers had pick 13 and the Warriors had pick 7 two years ago when we took Chris Duarte, and there was a lot of talk about maybe the Pacers could trade Miles Turner and pick 13 for pick 7. Yep. And that was like, you kept seeing that rumor all over the place. And it was just like, man, the Pacers could get in the top seven, get Jonathan Kaminga. Are you kidding me? Like, you know how excited we were about that a possibility oh, yeah. at that point? And so it's just kind of funny now to look back two years later and be like, oh, could we trade back to 13 from seven? I know, it's crazy. It, it is interesting. I, I definitely think that if you got OG and Anobi in the trade, then you do it. I don't think moving back six spots is if you get OG and the chance to take a swing on somebody else. Like, I think if the Pacers got pick 13 and OG – this is where maybe you would take a swing on a guy like Gigi Jackson, uh, somebody that's got all the potential in the world, but there are red flags. There are question marks about him, but I think that the Pacers have the right infrastructure that they could bring in someone like this and kind of develop them the right way because Rick Carlisle is not going to put up a nonsense. No. Tyrese Halliburton is going to bring the best of almost every player that he plays with. So I think that if you know Gigi comes in with a little bit of a humble attitude and ready to kind of prove himself, then that this could be a steal pick at, at 13. So that is like... One of the only reasons I like trading back a little bit is just like if you really believe in Gigi Jackson, because I just feel like talent-wise, this guy's a top 10 talent in my opinion. Yeah. I just feel like the immaturity off the court, how he handled himself at South Carolina was not good. But was the infrastructure really set in place for him to succeed and be his best? That I don't know. Um, when you have 18-year-olds kind of feeling entitled, that is a bit of a problem, and it is a little bit scary. But once again, if you have vets like George Hill, or a James Johnson in your locker room. You tweeted about it with the Rockets, uh, with what Jalen Green said on Paul uh, Paul yep. George's podcast. Like he was the vet. Well, I think it was a little bit of a shade at Eric Gordon who was there, but I Eric, agree. Eric Gordon very much wanted to be out of there. So I get it. Eric Gordon was doing everything he could to get traded. So I just feel like if the Pacers have the right infrastructure that they can take on a head case a little bit. And, and I don't think Gigi's as bad as people make him out to be. So that to me is where I'm enticed. But at the same time, I just i i wanna i wanna know what OG and Anobi told Tyrese Halliburton on Don't the court. Don't we that all? Day. That's Don't like what I want to know the most. And, uh, maybe if we ever get Tyrese back on, we'll ask him what he said. <laughs> I I know, and you know what? I hope one day we do find that out. But it makes you just feel like you know what? I think that was a a good sign compared to that. It's more likely to have been a good sign than it was to not. But I just feel like the the way that he's already got the ties to IU, it just feels like okay, this is a player that it's not like being in the Midwest or anything like that would be such a culture shock to him. He's done it. He's been there. And I do think that that makes me feel better that the Pacers were to make a trade. An extension could potentially happen compared to, you know, maybe someone who their heart and soul is in L.A. And, and long-term, it seems like that's what's going to be their option. So <laughs> if, if the Pacers have an option to, to do that and acquire pick 13, I think it's something you got to do and feel great about. Let me just throw this out here because I know someone's going to bring it up on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. Yes, we could have had OG and Anobi with our own pick. Of course. Yes. We know yeah. that. It didn't happen. Move on. It sucks because now you're talking about moving back from seven to get OG when you could have already had him. I get it. But I'm just telling you, if we drafted OG in 2017, who knows if he's still on the roster today. So there's been a lot of change. I think Miles Turner is pretty much the only one still from that 2017 roster. Maybe McConnell. I don't know if he was. No, no. He was a year after, I think. So, yeah, the only the only man standing <laughs> is Mr. Faithful himself, Miles Turner. So, 
the the likelihood of him still being your OG and Anobi would have been very slim. So, uh, any other ideas you got for me, Fudge? The last one, it's just I don't think there's really a scenario to get to three. I really don't. Um, <laughs> I think it would. T- I mean, the what what the Blazers want in terms of trying to win now. I don't think the Pacers have the players to do it because Matherin, Halliburton, they got to be off the table. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that then leads you, leaves you with like, okay, who's our most appealing assets at this point if the Blazers want to win now? You're looking at Miles Turner. You're looking at Buddy Heald, pick seven. Obviously not those players together. I just feel like uh, the Blazers are going to be looking for more of a superstar type player than you know a, uh, a non-all-star but good player. Yeah, this is where it gets really tough because I think if the Pacers got involved to try to get three, it would have to be a three-team trade. I think so. And I looked it up a little bit just trying to figure things out like on my own. Like, okay, what would make sense for the Pacers? Potentially. I I think there could be some kind of like three-team trade with Phoenix and Portland where DeAndre Ayton goes to Portland. And then you send Miles Turner to Phoenix because they clearly need a center upgrade from Aiton, and maybe Miles might fit with them better just because Aiton seems to really have soured on them. And then mm-hmm. you're looking at probably Nurkic coming to Indiana. It, it, that uh, was in my scenario. That was like something yeah. that had to happen. And it's like I don't even like Nurkic. I don't think no. he's that good of a center. And then you're looking at three coming to the Pacers, and then you're probably sending seven to Portland. So they would move back four spots in the draft, still have draft capital They'd get DeAndre Ayton that I think they'd have to make more than just the Nurkic trade. They might not have to with what their cap space looks like, but you're probably going to have to give more to uh, Phoenix in terms of like what, what they'd want to give up for Ayton. So you're probably looking at miles and then maybe somebody else on Portland's roster. That's of less value. Maybe um, to, who, who is the other, uh, Trying to think of the guy that and Nasir Little. They have Nasir Little on their roster. Maybe he goes to, to Phoenix or something like that. And, and it's a three-team trade. But I just don't think the Pacers really are that invested in giving up Miles Turner based on everything we heard Chad Buchanan say either. Like Miles is their guy. Miles wants to be here. And I think if you can get three, though, it is very in like it's very interesting because at that yeah, point, course. you're looking at Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson. Um, I don't necessarily love Scoot at three for the Pacers just because of the way the roster is made up right now. And that sounds silly to say. I, I think the only way you would even consider this if you're Indiana is if Brandon Miller is that guy at three, if Charlotte goes with Scoot. And then you're like, okay, we've only got Miles under contract for two more years. We could have Brandon Miller for the next nine. So that's where you really have to wait. Nurkic, I think, has three years left on his deal for about like $16 million a year. Serviceable big, but not somebody you want to invest in. Maybe you can flip off of him later in the season or in the offseason and try to find that center that you need. But I just think it's just really hard to come up with an actual idea that makes sense for everybody involved. So I think the Pacers would probably just be smart to to stay where they're at at seven and, and not try to force something at three unless they feel like it's a slam dunk offer. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The only scenario where I'd really want the Pacers to push for three is if Brandon Miller is there. At pick three, yeah. if it's Scoot, like why are we going to just complicate everything mm-hmm. and trade a whole bunch of assets for another guard? Look, he is a very talented guard, but that's not the player that you uh, make all this move for. You, you do it if you can get a guy like Brandon Miller, who fits not only a position of need, but is also an extremely talented player that you could have 
for years to come. So I think the the dream of getting to three is simply just a dream. The other scenarios that we went through are far more realistic. What about what about looking at Detroit or Orlando ahead of us to move up a spot or two? If there's a guy that you just want that you know they're going to take, let's just say you have a gut feeling that Orlando is going to take Taylor Hendricks. That's the guy you want. You say, okay, we're going to see if we can make a deal with Orlando. Move up one spot. We will trade them Duarte and seven for six. Is that the is it enough for them though when they have a, they have other guards and I but they don't like have I, shooters like Duarte. That's the thing. They yeah. need shooting and they don't need a. I mean, they don't need any more rookies to come in right away and play. I think the one thing you know about Duarte is he had a really good rookie season and then dealt with injuries the last year. Um, would they be enticed by that? I don't know. What about what about? It, I don't think it gets the deal done. We probably got to slip in like a, another late first or something like that, which well, is not and, a big deal. Yeah, that to me is not like that's just like okay, you went twenty six and sure. It's like okay, if if that'll get it done, then you know what. But it's you start to then wonder like, man, we're moving up a lot. We're not giving up a lot, but we're giving up a decent amount just to yeah. move up one spot. But when it came to Detroit and pick five, started to think of what it sounded like the Kings wanted last year to move up from, you know, for the Pacers to move up from six to four. And I rem- and who knows what, what the real offer was that, that the Kings wanted, but it sounded like at the time, multiple first round picks, yeah. you know, potentially Chris Duarte. And it was, that was a lot. So yeah. for five, the Pistons, I don't know what it'll take to get that, but f- the fifth overall pick very much intrigues me. Yeah. What, what if, what if, Okay, this is me thinking out loud right now, and I'm, I'm not saying I would do it. I'm just throwing this idea at you. What if the Pacers traded pick seven and a top eight protected pick in 2024 to Orlando for picks six and 11? Oh, I mean, I, I'd be very intrigued by that because I actually think the Pacers are going to be, you know, a potential playoff team next year. So mm-hmm. it's like I'm fine giving up, you know, pick 14 you know 14 to you know i don't know 14 to 16 or something like that if it ends up being that the following year if it means that the pacers can get six and 11 yeah i i just wonder because like orlando they don't need a ton of young players on their they roster right now too many of them they can push out one of their picks another year um and they probably most likely get it like Maybe if you even did like top six protected, I don't know what the protection is. Top seven, I don't really know. I'm just thinking out loud. This next year's draft, the 2024 class, from everything I've heard, it's very less appealing than the 2023 class. So to me, it's just like, okay, would Orlando be willing to push back one of their picks to another year just so they can have some different ammunition? Like, oh, maybe they could even include it in a trade. Like, hey, we'll give you Indiana's top seven protected pick plus stuff to get another player in here like that that could be ammunition for them to move but the Pacers really like somebody at 11 and they get to move up just one spot at, at six to, to get the guy they want I think I don't think Orlando does it probably I don't think they do but I it's very low the protections I think the protections would have to be top probably, five I was going to say top four or five because think about the wiggle room that they would have just to try and profit off this trade. It would have to be the Pacers landing at eight, nine, or 10, basically, in order for Orlando to say, we won that deal, yeah. other than just pushing out a year. So I well, think that could be good at- too, though. <laughs> 2025 class might be a lot better. And it's like, oh, the Pacers got their yeah. pick. Oh, we get their pick in 2025 unprotected or something stupid like that. 
anything could happen. If it becomes top four protected, I think that entices them way more. And to be honest, I still feel good about it because I think the Pacers had enough talent this year to make that play-in game. If people stay healthy. I yeah. think you add to this team, and all of a sudden, I, I do think that the Pacers are probably picking next year maybe around 15 or so. Yeah, they're probably in that 12 to 20 range for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big <laughs> range right there. I'm know? just saying, well, it's like you could, like, miss the play-in by a few games yeah. but, like, not get, like, top 10. I, I don't know. There's – like we talked about with Chad, there's so much parity across the league. There's so many question marks. There's so many teams in what direction sure. they're heading. So it's just like – like he said, whatever's available to us is how we'll know how to build our roster. So – I don't necessarily think that I would do that for Orlando, but it just depends on what you like at 11. If there's somebody there you really think can change this franchise or help with this franchise, like let's just say they love Leonard Miller. I, I know that that Steven kind of laughed at us whenever we talked about Leonard Miller at 12 to uh, Oklahoma City. He's like, uh, are we seeing the same prospect? Because I wasn't that in- intrigued by him, but it's just like the Pacers really like what he brings to the table, plus – a guy like Taylor uh, Taylor Hendricks or Jairus Walker or Cam Whitmore, if they like like those combination of players together, then I think it is worth potentially investing in, trying to get back into that lottery. And we know that Orlando needs shooters. That's the big thing. I mean, a lot of people have looked at Grady Dick at 11 for them, and I think that's who you picked for him in that mock draft. Mm-hmm. Yep. They need shooting. And, you know, if they go someone like Anthony Black, Kaysen Wallace, uh, Cam Whitmore, Jairus Walker at six. Like, no matter where they go at six, they're still going to need shooting. And I think if they get Hendricks, they're going to get shooting, but they, they still need more shooting on that roster because I just don't see a ton of it in their guards. Uh, Markel Fultz, not a great shooter. Nope. Uh, Jalen Suggs, not a great shooter. Cole nope. Anthony is very streaky. <laughs> so yeah. that, that to me is where I just look at Orlando as a potential trade partner. But yeah, I, I think that I think what's most likely going to happen is Pacers just stay at seven and then try to package their later picks to move up. And we'll talk about that on another podcast, but there are a lot of interesting options. And I think Pachi, give me like, give us like three, four more weeks, right? Like the week of the draft, a lot of this stuff could really change our opinions based on what's available, what's out there and who's willing to shop their picks. And we just need that first, that first domino to fall and anything could happen because we started to see that last year that, you know, things were happening more of like late, First round picks were, were being shopped around, like the Bucks pick was getting traded and and things like that um, involved, like the Jeremy Grant being traded to Portland. So things like that we saw. But then eventually, I remember uh, a couple years ago um, when Memphis ended up trading up to ten. That happened, you know, a few days before the draft. Yeah. So I love when we see just that first domino fall. So I, I hope there's going to be. I expect there to be some movement. But just like you mentioned, the Pacers having 26, well, 7, 26, 29, 32, 55, hearing Chad and KP say that they do not expect to bring in anywhere close to five players makes it feel like the Pacers will be picking up that phone and they're going to be dialing and they will find a trade partner. Let me throw one more out at you here. This is not including us trading seven. What if we traded Buddy Heald and Chris Duarte Maybe pick 26 for pick 10 in Davis Bertans. Once upon a time, Bertans could very much shoot. Very much could shoot. Uh, that contract's starting to run towards the end. Awful think, contract in the beginning. I think it's about $16 million for the next three years, 16 a year. Let's, uh, let me pull it up right over here just so, so we can be very specific because I want to make sure we're not <laughs> taking on any more than we have to. 
Um, but I do like the idea. Okay. So he's got one year fully guaranteed this year at 17 million and then just $5 million guaranteed the following year. So that becomes way more appealing. So you said Buddy Duarte for Bertons and 10. Yeah. I do that deal. I think I do it too. What if it was Tim Hardaway Jr.? I mean, good player as well. So, I mean, I I think I still do the deal because I love the idea of having picks 7 and 10. Could you imagine that? (laughs) I couldn't. It would be pretty awesome. And you probably have to give up, uh, you know, the the, the Cavs pick and potentially Boston so they can can add add some cheap labor to the back of their roster because they're an interesting team. It uh, it makes the Pacers three games worse, according to fans, but with this trade, but getting them buddy healed, I think next to Luca could be really good for their offense. I, I think it, it very well could be. I think it's definitely an upgrade for Dallas. Tim Hardaway Jr. has got about $34 million remaining over two years. So it's, it's not bad at all. The contract actually goes down, uh, which, which is always great to see. And this is someone that, 110% accepts a bench role. So it's not like, uh-oh, well, what are we going to do? Is he going to be starting? And that's the question that you have with Buddy. So I do think, obviously, Buddy is better than Tim Hardaway Jr. But to get the 10th overall pick in there, I mean, that that's fantastic. And I could more than part with 26 and 29 for <laughs> Dallas to be able to round out players, say they are, to give Kyrie a max and also have you know, Luka Doncic on the max. It would be really interesting to see what the what the Mavericks can get for 10. And I I don't know if Buddy's the right answer for him. I don't know I don't if Duarte is. is. I, I mean, I, what about Buddy and Neesmith? That feel I, more likely for them? I think that's a better trade for them. I think yeah. Duarte, look, we, we would love for everybody to, to view him the same way that we viewed him last year. But I think around the league, uh, that's not quite the perception of Chris Duarte at this moment. Absolutely. Well, I, I think I'm out of ideas for now. We'll obviously probably revisit this once we get close to the draft, like I hinted at. But any any final thoughts before we wrap this up, Bunch? My final thoughts is that we went through a bunch of scenarios, but couldn't 100% sell ourselves on the idea of moving off of pick seven. And what that means is to say that there are really good players that can be had at pick seven in this draft that intrigue you and I and the whole entire fan base, and to know that you could have that player under contract for, you know, quite some time mm-hmm. is very, very appealing when you look at the young core that we have in place and how they can grow together because we're not one trade away from winning a championship or contending for a championship at this time. So to be able to let, uh, say, 19, 20-year-old continue to develop over the next few years is actually a great problem if you want to call it to have absolutely and i think we'd love to hear your guys's trade ideas i know that there's been some people that have asked like oh could 7 26 29 and 32 move you up to three no it will not no. move you up to three nope. those picks past like 15 don't have nearly as much value as like the top seven so if you think those picks are super valuable i'm sorry they're just not they're they've got value but it's a different type of value it's not enough to move you up it's not the nfl the nfl you can trade a first and a second and a third and move up in the first round, like five picks. And like, okay, that's a big deal. But like the NFL, you got seven rounds and you're trying to put 53 people together on a roster where in the NBA, you're putting 15 on a roster. So it's just a lot limited stuff. And I think in the NBA compared to NFL, one player can change the game 
much more dramatically in the NBA than they can in football. I mean, you have a great receiver. Well, he's got to have a good quarterback. He's got to have a good yep. offensive line. You have a LeBron James. Well, it don't matter how bad your defense is. He can get you a shot when he wants you to. Like, you know, that's the difference between the two sports. So I think it's a hard concept for some people that love a lot of different sports to think about patch packaging up. Cause you're like, I gave all these picks and they don't want them. It's like, they're just not a lot of value. And it's like, where are going to find roster spots for four guys? Like the reason we're trying to move off of them is because there are problems there, but uh, enough rambling for me, Fachi. I apologize. Go ahead and tell the people where they can find us at on the good old social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F a C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers talk. You can find us on Facebook setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok setting the pace and Alex tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast where you can find all of our YouTube content. I am in the process of getting the Chad Buchanan uh, conversation uploaded there. So if you want to watch it and you didn't get a chance to see it uh, or listen to it uh, on audio platform, that'll be available for video as well. And I hope you guys enjoy that. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're hoping the Pacers are a little bit aggressive this offseason and make some good moves for this team, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sleeping every team. We gon' need a mop, smooth. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com